the UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. Okay, welcome everybody to the UDR podcast. I'm really, really fucking excited today to have uh, a newfound friend come on to our podcast today. I met this guy, I'm going to say probably about eight months ago, um, and I didn't meet him in person. You know, I've been new to the Instagram platform here in the last, you know, 16 or 18 months. I've learned how to navigate it. I've been part of the recovery community and I kept seeing this gentleman's posts. Um, and I related with, with everything. And so, you know, we've exchanged messages back and forth. We've liked each other's posts. And we've just kind of gotten to know each other at a technology level. And now today, the other day, we spoke on the phone. And now we're again together here on a video platform, although we're only recording audio. But I can't help but say that feels like I've known this guy for a while, and uh, it's pretty cool. So I welcome Yanni from Montreal, who's a recovery activist and doing many different things to to carry the message of hope to other people. Welcome, Yanni. Really happy to have you here, my friend. Really grateful to be here, uh, Bill. Uh, for starters, uh, like you said before, uh, same thing on my end, right, about maybe... Uh, 15, 16 months, new to the technology, new to Instagram, uh, in confinement. So, uh, in in the in the recovery uh, in the recovery, let's say circle, you know, liking, following re- recovery solution based people, for starters, uh, out loud, you know, not anonymous, out loud. Uh, speaking the truth and I really related to uh, to your page for starters I really liked uh, the core the honesty you know the direct the rawness let's say the real you know yeah, because uh, you know and that's because- something I don't think I was like that before right and that's something that I've learned in recovery is honesty vulnerability 
putting it out there. It's kind of like giving up the edge. I used to keep the edge because I was afraid that you might hurt me with it. But I've learned that if I give you the edge, I actually value my life values from it. And being vulnerable, honest and integral, it just is the way to go, right? And, and, you know, that's what I see with what you're doing. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly the same. Uh, it's funny to say, uh, I remember cleaning up and uh, I remember going in, into a treatment center cup and I got close with my counselor and it's funny because I'm still close with him today. And I remember telling him, I feel like a softy. And he tells me, that's your, that's your gift of recovery. Don't change that. You're a man with his heart on his sleeve, right? So stay that way. You know, do your best to stay that way. And, you know, again, like, exactly. I completely agree with what you said. Go back to being honest, integrity, be real. You know, in life, you're going to get hurt. You know, and I think that's I, one of the things life teaches us is you're a man, don't be soft. You know, we learn all of these things in our society and it's like, don't be soft as a man. Don't talk about your feelings, keep your tears in. And, and, you know, we almost build guilt and shame for being soft and, and wanting to be, you know, vulnerable, but we're not allowed to. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things I think that actually drive us into the bottle or into the drugs because we can't actually be who we're supposed to be. We got to be someone else for for the people around us or for society at large because this is what we're told to do. And But the real gift is not adhering to the belief systems that we've learned, kind of getting within ourselves and then expressing ourselves as we truly are. And, and uh, that's what you're doing. And I'm really happy your counselor said, you know, don't suppress that, bro. That is your gift. That is Yanni. And now that Yanni can be Yanni, Yanni's a fucking force to be reckoned with. And, and now you're helping other people find their own truth, right? Like, I know you work with a lot of people. And is that kind of what you're doing with these guys? Yeah. Yeah. Be real. Be, be yourself take chances, uh, you know, it's, it's just do every day when you wake up in the morning, be the best you can be, be honest, have integrity, show up, show up to life. And that's half the you know? battle is, is showing up really. It yeah. is. So, so Yanni, I'd like to kind of get into your story a little bit. And, uh, as we talk, you know, what, what I like to carry a message and to who it is, is for the new person, but also for the person who's got a year in, or maybe they got two years in and they're like still wondering, is this all there is? Is this all there is? And uh, no, there's more. There really is. And I see a lot of messages in, in different meetings and different platforms where People are still restless, irritable, discontented, and they're not really getting the right message. And so that's why I want to do what I'm doing here is let's let's bring the truth out about what how we can level up and how we can live the best life we can. So why don't we talk about some of the darkness and where your life started, maybe your upbringing and kind of how you got into your substance abuse and 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 where it was taking you? 
no problem, Bill. Thank you. Uh, so I'm, I'm a, I come from a, I'm Greek, right? So I come from a Greek-based uh, Greek-based family, religion-based family, for starters. And it's funny when I look back today, my uh, my problem started at five years old, and it was through a positive positive thing. My sister got married, and one day she was there, one day she left. Then when I was seven, I saw my brother and my father get into a fist fight and my brother left the house and I didn't see my brother for four years. And why I, why I, I bring, I have 14 years with my bro and 17 with my, uh, with my sister. And why I say this today is uh, because back then, what are, I remember my father and my mother concentrating on my brother leaving the house. What are, what are people going to say that my Greek son is, is dating a French-Canadian woman? Now, we're going back in the 80s, okay? Uh, and that really affected me because going home, they shifted all their attention towards my brother, right? Something bad is going to happen to my brother, and this is not supposed to be. So I was the... They didn't do it on purpose, obviously, they did the best they can with what they knew. But at the time, I felt like if you take a picture of me and put it in the living room or if I was actually there, it would be the same thing. So I got a, somewhat of a complex. And then further on, I noticed that I liked solitude. I liked to be alone because it was the only time I can be real like a, as a young kid, you know. Uh, I was somewhat forced into religion. I'm not saying that I didn't learn some stuff from it, right? You know, I'm not going to completely sit here and bash religion. You know, I'm, it came to a plus for me because I, I, I'm open-minded. Like, if I go back to today, I think I've read all the religion books possible, you know, just to know. You know, I'm a spiritual-based person, but I'm open to learning, right? And going back back to when when i was young so school i was a quiet kid but i i always used to manipulate i always used to do things to get my way uh always like a chameleon let's say and then further like uh, like at 15 16 years old the first time i went to a bar i drank obviously but it was that effect from back then like wow what is this you know so from 15, 16 years old, it was never to go have a beer. It was to go feel that effect where I can be myself, where I can be Superman, where I can feel good, where I can go talk to the girl. You know, uh, what was I, did I have a problem from then? Personally, I believe yes. It's my personal opinion. And I believe I did because everything I did from there moving forward was to get that feeling, you know? I go to girlfriends. The abandonment at a young age brought me to be possessive towards my girlfriends because going into every relationship, I believed that I'm supposed to call a person 15 times a day. That person is an object, so they belong to me, they're mine. So I would get possessive, but I didn't know that I was possessive. And then every girl would leave me, right? So it would make me even more and more insecure.
the first time uh, at 24 years old, I, I had my first line was when I lost a child. I was engaged. I lost a child. And then again, there, it, it's the woman's fault. You know, the fucking girl, she killed my kid. And I just took off. I went to Europe for four months. Okay. But I mean, you take me from, let's say, the town I grew up in Montreal, which is Park Extension, put me in front of a bar and put me anywhere I went to Europe. All I did was sit in front of a bar. And then it's funny because I did one line before I left. And then when I landed in, in Montreal four months later, the first place I went was to find that high. I didn't even go home. You know, was it all bad? At the time, I didn't think so. I can stop whenever I want. Oh, I, I, I used too much or I drank too much. Let's take a week off. So, Yanni, I want to rewind a little bit here. Co yes. A couple of things that you're saying I resonate with. And as I've worked with so many individuals, I see certain patterns, right? And one of the things that you're talking about was, you know, alcohol played a bit of an exhilarating part of your life when you first found it. It made you feel like Superman, made you able to talk to the women, uh, took away some of the insecurities that you might have had. And then it kind of opened your mind. And it basically, in some ways, it, it expands our life. It makes life bigger and it allows me to kind of go further and, and meet people and try things. And so it's expanding our lives. But then another thing that you said is the control. Um, you know, as you start dating women, um, I really love that you said the possession. They belong to you. Because as I've done my program of recovery, I've learned that the possession thing, the thing that I make, whatever it is, I can make many things a thing, a possession. And once I start making a thing a whatever it is, a person, a place, a thing, even an ideal, the thing or a possession. Then I start pulling levers in my life to try to not have this thing that I think it is leave me or I'm trying to pull the levers in my life to try to get it. And really what I'm doing is I'm living a life based in my own insecurities, based in my selfishness. And it, all of those behaviors actually make me feel bad but like you said, you didn't know you were doing it. I didn't know I was doing it. It was just life. And when we look around, everybody's doing it. But for us as alcoholics addicts with this like mental illness of self, it really starts destroying us. So as you kind of fast forward up to your, your 24 years old and you've, you've left, you've done a geographical change already. You know, you've lost a child, resentment, you're blaming people already. And then you come home and you don't even go home. You go right to the fucking drugs, right? So already, yeah. already the drug that was expanding your life is now turning on you and starting to fucking cut your ribbons, just like our literature says, right? And so just for the listeners, like these are some pretty fucking standard traits, um, of alcoholics and addicts and even some normal people. But the thing with an alcoholic addict is we can die from this shit. Your normal person's just going to be miserable. We'll fucking die over it. Right. So anyway, keep going, buddy. Sorry to stop you there. 
not at all and uh yes for the listeners it is very important you know and coming back stuff wasn't it wasn't that bad at the time okay because i was taught from a young age and i go back to my child what are people gonna say what are people gonna think right so obviously i was involved in some criminal activity in my in my life yes i've been in and out of prison uh but i mean it's like i had to look good on the outside so the house was always clean the house the, the car was always clean you know what i mean there was always money in my pocket uh, i can stop whenever i want uh every girls would come and go but this is the flip side of my story and this is it's funny how life works okay it's really funny how life works so uh at the time i'm 28 years old and uh, i meet a a woman a touch older than me okay and she's five years clean so we end up i want to get just like a quick I'm jealous of this girl. When I say jealous, I'm jealous of the fact that I'm waking up in the morning and I, I feel like a train ran me over and I see her eyes glowing every morning she wakes up. I see her in shape. I see her getting dressed. I see her doing her thing. I see her going to her meeting. Uh, I'm asking her what they're doing at this meeting, right? We end up moving in together. And every time she goes to work, I pick up a few literature books i'm opening the books i'm reading where it's highlighted and i'm telling i'm telling myself like did they write this book about me now i'm 29 years old right 28 29 years old i only got clean five years ago i got clean at 37 so i obviously she threw me out after about a year, year and a half, it's only normal. You know, one time, like she had no problem with me going out with my friends, but bars close at three. I'd come home the next day. Then, you know, I'd come home two days later. So obviously, you know, enough's enough. But I mean, she's still in my life today. You know, for some reason, she tells me I was able to see through all the bullshit. I was able to see that you were a good person at heart. And then another weird thing that happened to me was I look and all this, I can look back today and see it is I, I did a big operation on my leg and I had, I didn't lie. I wasn't lying to the doctors at the time. And I told them I drink and I do cocaine. So can I do these things? He tells me, I really suggest you not till you heal. So I stopped. A year and two months, exactly, I stopped. But it was the shittiest time of my life because I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to manage emotions. I, I hated everybody. And then I just transferred into, I couldn't go to work, right? Whatever, whatever stuff I was doing on the side. So I would watch TV series all day. I would criticize people. I had to go, uh, if I'd be stuck in traffic, it was like a shit show. You know, and then my per only in purpose was to heal my leg, to be able to go like to go back and to do 
to do drugs and drink. So you have this uh, medical incident. You have to have your leg operated on. You quit doing drugs and alcohol. And it was the worst time of your life. <laughs> and that is so typical of the real deal alcoholic addict that suffers the spiritual malady. You put the drink, the drink and the drug down. And now you're left with yourself. And now you have to live in the spiritual malady with no solution because the drink and the drugs are gone. And that is the symptom of the real deal alcoholic. It gets worse. And you are probably declining in your, your character and your behavior and, and fucking lashing out. And at the drop of a hat, you know, for me, I know when I was untreated alcoholic and addict, cause I had a period too, I would fucking get angry at the drop of a hat. My road rage was like at, at a hundred percent, you know, if the kids fucked up me watching the hockey game at the wrong moment, it was just like, rawr, right. And, and like people had to be careful around me. And, and I actually affected rooms and, and environments in such a negative way, just the presence of me because of the vibration of negativity that I vibrated at. But I didn't know. I thought these were my character traits, bro. I thought anger was a character trait. And it actually, like the drink and the drug, it expanded my life. Anger and some of this manipulation and control expanded my life. And it got me some things that seemed pretty good. But, uh, you know, I found out later that they weren't character traits. They were just symptoms of my own brokenness and my own insecurities and my own spiritual malady at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, coming to realize that later was, was pretty interesting. And another thing that you had talked about was you saw yourself in the book. You had picked up this book that your girlfriend was reading in the program. And you're like, what the fuck? And so little light bulbs are still going off, but it wasn't enough to, to grab you and pull you into to asking her more or going to a meeting or anything. But you could see yourself in that book. You just weren't ready at that point, right? So just wanted to bring up those couple points, bro, that I totally related with. Uh, I never did see the book until I came in, but, but anyway, carry on, my friend. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I really, and then I even tried, uh, in one of the literatures, it says, uh, every time you feel like drinking in, in early, when you're trying to, to, to clean up early, when you're trying to, to, to sober up in uh, early recovery, carry a chocolate in your pocket, you know, every time you get a feel, and I would try all these things, but in secret, all by myself, you know, uh, but then the last, this is where it gets devastating. Like the last five years, I was just like, I would, a beer would hit my lips. Let's say we were Thursday, a beer would hit my lips. And I would say, here we go again. Where am I going to be four or five days from now? You know, uh, seven overdoses, hospitalized, uh, ruining everybody around me. But if you would come and tell me, Yanni, you have a problem. Everything outside looked good. And what were your What to, were your parents saying? Were your parents or your family members were they saying anything to you? Yeah, yeah. And I would like, uh, are you going to stop? When are you going to stop? Don't you think you're drinking a lot? Like an example, and uh, you know, I had to accept this because it. I was really uh, when I look back at it, like 
how can I do this to my father? You know, I would take my father on trips with me, okay? So let's say I'd go to Cuba with my dad. We'd get there, I'd leave him at the resort, and then I'd see him 10 days later when it was time to, to go back, stuff like that. I'd take him, bring him to Mexico, and then I'd tell him, what's your problem? You know, I paid your ticket. So whether my dad was there or not, it wasn't really like, like today I can't do these, like, I don't see it in my, in, there's no way I would do something like that. It's impossible. You know, I, I went on a road trip with my father uh, around the US and the best time of, of the whole trip was in the car when we were talking and he told me about his life story and how he came over from Greece and all the struggles he went through and all the good times he's been like, wow. You know, the difference of what recovery brings to life, like, brings to life. Mm. You're able to be the present. character change. Yeah. The character change. Yeah, dude. Yeah, that's beautiful. My dad recently moved in with me. And very similarly to you, I've been able to be present with him. You know, I've gotten to know my dad more in the last four, five, six months since he's lived with me than I did in my whole life. And in large part was because I was so selfish and self-centered that I didn't give a fuck about anyone else really, but yeah. myself and my own status and what you thought of me and the money I needed to make money and I needed to build this business. And like, it's so, so shallow. And some of my best days today are exactly what you said. I say to my dad, Hey dad, you want to go for a cruise? And we'll just jump in my car and go for a fucking cruise. And those are some of the most precious moments. Just hearing my dad talk about whatever it is, man. So I, I really relate to that. And that is one of the gifts to be present, to fucking be able to listen to somebody else, not think about what I'm going to say. So I, I hear you, bro. I hear you. And that's what it was like me, like the last five years, you know, I'm going to touch on that a little bit. It's, I couldn't sit on my couch by myself. I couldn't. I would call and it's, you know what, it, it's not, I'm not afraid to be like, I'd call escorts, but it wasn't to honestly, like it wasn't to, to have sex with them or anything. I just wanted somebody to hang out with. So I would pay these girls to talk to them, you know, and I would cry to them and I would tell them that I'm unhappy, you know, and I would offer them drugs and alcohol. And then one would leave, I'd call another one. And it, it was just like a cycle. I was in that for about five years. Then, then this was the biggest turning point in my life, you know, because I do want to touch on recovery because it's very important. This was uh, the, the biggest turning point in my life. This is, you know, when we say we've had enough and we ask for help, five o'clock in the morning, I walk into my mother's room, I walk into my mother's house, into her room, I wake her up, poor lady, I fall on my knees and I tell her, do me a favor, mom, please call the cops, tell the cops I beat you, I need to go to jail to relax, cocaine beat me, you know, the acceptance. 
and you went to your mom's house and asked her to say that that you beat her so you yeah. could go to jail because you didn't know how to escape this this illness. Yeah. Yeah. And back to the escorts and as as we just want we just want to be loved. We just want to be heard. We just want vulnerability. And through that avenue that you could only see, that's how it was going to happen was you had to call these ladies. What it does is it actually creates more shame, more guilt. And then it causes for more using more of the same behavior, more guilt, more shame. And we're basically, we're dishonoring our own selves and we don't even know it. And then we, we do things like you just did, you know, asking your mom to say that you beat her so that you can go to jail because you're at the jumping off point, man. You don't know what the fuck to do. You can't live drinking and drugging. You can't live without it. You're fucking not happy with who you are. And then like our book talks about, you get to the jumping off point, right? It's like fucking, I'm going to kill myself. Um, exactly. But, but you want to go to jail because yeah. you think that's your solution. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go to jail. I want to relax. But at that point, something changed inside of me. Something switched. Like for some reason, I knew everything was going to be okay. My sponsor tells me that's step zero of recovery. I continued using after that day because my mom was one of those moms that would never call the cops on me, right? Because she could have called the cops on me many times in her life for numerous different things, right? That she found or whatever the case is. But I mean, I went looking, it was time. Like I went looking for a treatment center. I went to the appointments. I showed up to the appointments and uh, literally I checked myself in. And oddly to say it was, very difficult to do that. But I remember when I walked through those doors, I was the happiest person in the world. Like I was at a point in my life where a treatment center made me the happiest guy (laughs) in the universe. Like God, life couldn't have given me more. I got there. Like I knew there I'm not gonna die now. So you had that feeling of hope, although you didn't know what to expect. You just knew that, okay, I have a chance. Yeah. Um, back a bit. What did your yes. sponsor say was the step zero promise? The, Because I accepted I had a problem for the first time in my life to myself. Oh, so that gift of desperation. Yeah. Like in the big book on page 52, it's labeled as the bedevilments, but I call them the step zero promises. You know, there's eight of them on page 52. We couldn't control our emotional natures. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't form relationships. And there's eight of these things. And one of them that's there, it says we couldn't make a living. And that one, that we couldn't make a living. That's the one that'll keep people from admitting that they're actually an alcoholic or an addict or seeking help because the ability, your ability, you knew for years 
but because you were able to make money still and have things look okay on the outside. It was hard for you to really go, I'm, I'm a fucking alcoholic addict. Yeah. So that, that gift of desperation that you finally got to and that deep level concession, like this is the first step in recovery, the deep yeah. level concession that you're fucked. But through that acceptance of that, that darkness, that's where we can grow. And that's where the hope came from. Right. And so that's, that's a beautiful dude. I, I really, I'm really digging your story today and your textbook alcoholic addict too. Right. Yeah. But like what you're saying is today, I, today I'm so grateful for, you know, it's funny because I remember I thought I was old stuff. I thought I was old things. I thought I was, you know, nobody owes me nothing. You know, today I'm aware of that. And it's funny how, like I went to treatment and I was, what kept me out there for such a long time was like you said, right? Things looked good on the outside. So if you would approach me and tell me, tell me, Yanni, you have a problem. I'd probably look at you and tell you, I make more money than you. I don't have a problem. Stuff like that, like arrogant, like that. Okay. And I didn't realize that because, you know, when I went to treatment, I called my cousin to come and pick me up. Okay. I locked my, my home. Okay. I went to treatment and then my first sponsor brought me back home for the first time. And it's like, I left my home and I came back to my home. Right. So when he walked in, he goes to me, fuck, you just hit, you don't know it yet, but you're one of those guys that's sitting on gold. I didn't, I didn't understand that till I worked with a lot of alcoholics and addicts. I had never understood that. And in treatment, honesty was a big key point. Yes, I remember and thank God for this man and I'm grateful for him because I got arrogant in one of his groups and he walked up straight to my face and he told me, listen, I'm gonna tell you this and I'm gonna tell you this once. The only place you were able to bring yourself was 37 years old in a treatment center. You should be very proud of that. If I were you, I'd sit down, I'd shut the fuck up and I'd open my ears. Direct like that. Did he hurt my feelings? Yeah. Was he right? Absolutely. And then in the middle of the, of my treatment, I decided to be, because there was something I was holding on to because I had arranged something to have money when I come out. And I was honest with him because I was holding on to that. And he told me, if you really need it, take it. I suggest you don't. And I didn't. So you had arranged something and it probably wasn't above board, I'm guessing, knowing how we are yeah and then you finally got honest with them and he gave you the choice yeah and basically underlying in this choice he says you can do that and the results probably aren't good or you can do something that's hard and not take that easy road and you'll probably benefit from it in the long run yes um and yes. then another thing i'd like to touch on is your counselor fucking in your face yeah. You know, giving more a shit about your life than your feelings, telling you the fucking truth. And no matter how the truth and the heart is delivered, it has an impact and it had an impact on you. Yeah. And 
And some of us, like me, Yanni, I need that. I need someone to look at me and say, you know what? What do you fucking know? You made it in here at 42 fucking years old. Sit the fuck down, Bill. Shut the fuck up and listen for a change. I need what you need, my friend. So keep keep going. So then it's all new. You come out of treatment. I remember him telling me, the counselor, do the opposite of what you think. You know, I I didn't I, I didn't take that personally. Because you know, my best think, thinking got me where I was, right? So do the you know, do the opposite of what you think. And you know, I just listened because it started to feel good from treatment after treatment, the 90 and 90, the the the, the 12 steps of recovery were suggested when we get out of treatment. I tackled that. And you said something at the beginning that's very, very, very important. Okay. At around two years, is that all there is? Because when you're going ground up, it's nice, right? And us, when things are going normal, we're not used to it. I'll, I'll speak for me, you know, when things are, are just balanced out, I was never used to that. It was either shit was going really good or shit was going really bad. So when you're in that middle, in that gray area, like I would get confused. Like, is there something wrong? Is there this? So at about two years, and I, I know it's not recommended, but I work with a woman that has 35 years clean, okay? I listen to a lot of... Uh, 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 a lot of shares on the, on, on the internet, okay? And there was this one share that I would go back to and I would cry all the time. And there was something about meetings. There was something about life. There was something, the ego was coming back. It's that simple. I don't think I need this. I'm good. I went to talk to my, uh, I went to talk to my counselor and I remember him calling, like, calling me retarded. You're retarded. And I went stalking for this woman. She happened to be from Montreal. And I went to stalk her, stalking somebody to take me through the work. So you met this woman. You never met her. You heard her on no. some speaker tapes. Yes. You knew she was from Montreal. So then yes. you set out to find her on, on yes. like, a, a stalker bench. Yes. <laughs> I, I overheard her say her home group. I went to her home group. I asked. Then I went to different CA meetings. I asked who she is and this and that. And today we're best friends. She's my mentor. She guides me. She cuts through the bullshit. Let me tell you, she cuts through the bullshit. Uh, and I believe... God wanted that for me, right? Because without God, we have nothing. That's one. But the choices, the seeking, the open mind. Let's go see what this is about. Why am I crying? Why am I feeling this? Why do I feel off? You know, don't be afraid, whoever's listening. Take that extra step. It's important. 
because at two years, two years in a month, everything, everything was under control. And I don't know about you guys down there. I've heard a, I've heard another speaker one time say, everybody who has a year, a year or less, pick up your hand, and it's three quarters of the room. Everybody who has two two years and more, between two and five years, there's maybe about three people. And then it's everybody who has five years and more. There's a lot of more hands that are raised, right? Because shit starts getting good, then we forget. I go with that mentality, do or die. I don't forget that. Do or die. So, Yanni, I, I, want, I, want, to, I want to chime in here for a second. So exactly what you said is a, a message I carry out here. I... Because I've seen it, dude. I've seen it in the rooms and I've seen it yeah. in the different fellowships and in my own sponsorship. A lot of people can get a year. Like a yeah. lot of people can get a year. But hardly any make it to two years and hardly any make it to five years. Why? I, I think this is why. This is my opinion. Because in the rooms and in the fellowship. We're so focused on the substance. And once you come in here desperate enough, you do some work, you can distance yourself from the substance and you think it's all God. God's doing all this. Um, but really, God is just the theory. When God's just a theory, if God's not working in and through your life, through the practical application of that book, and taking the actions in our lives that that book asks us to do, our ego is really powerful and it can attach to the idea of God. And then as we get, you know, we go up in that first year and we're getting a lot of things and everything is fucking gold. But really in the second year, that's where the work begins because it's like if you don't have God and your actions are aligning with your program, you will fucking drink again because the theory of God will not keep you sober. The rest of this irritable discontentment will take over and we yeah. will fucking drink again. And I think part of the message in the room says, okay, great. You got a year sober off your substance. Let's pat you on the ass and you're on your way. I always say you're on your way to what? Not recovery. You're on your way to a fucking relapse. So the message that I love to carry is the spiritual malady. Let's talk about the defects of character. Let's yeah. talk about why you're crying. Let's get into the fucking meat and potatoes and fucking actually groove this directions into our lives. So I'd like to ask you. Um, so I'm really happy you brought that up because that's my exact take on, on what I've seen. So two years in, you approach this woman. She sponsors you. What did you guys find out through going deeper? And part of what I'm saying is you can't do what you did in your first year and your second year. You can't do what you did in your second year and your third year. You got to always be growing. And we come to the stagnant place where that you were at it two years and it's like, okay, now what? But you identified some things and God was working in your life and you were drawn to this woman. What ended up happening as you worked with this woman? What kind of things were revealed? One thing that I couldn't accept was uh, uh, sloth because I always thought I was a very hardworking person. And this is just touching a little point of a character defect, okay? Like working 60 hours a week, doing meetings, uh, four or five sponsees, you know what I mean? Very active, okay? Uh, we've, 
we figured out sloth. We figured out dishonesty. Okay, uh, and she cuts through. I don't know the way the way she taught me. Because yeah, if if you don't if you don't boogie the way if you don't do the actions, you know God's there, but you can't just pray to God and not do anything. You know, shit has to happen. You have to move. You have choices. Okay, what I, and something that I that that I I I go like I work with is what I want to do, what needs to be done. What I want to do, what needs to be done. What I want to do, what I'm supposed to do. Right. Any any human being who takes that into consideration in their mind, that what I need to do is harder. So that's the right answer. You know, and you know that I I still I still go with that today. What, what did we hit? What did we hit? Is to apply the program on a daily basis. That's what we hit. Mm. Because when things start going good, you stop applying the program. I stopped applying the program. I'll speak for me, right? And I was on ego. And between one year and two years, it's all new. You're feeling better. You know, you hit the gym a few times. You drop, you drop some weight. You wake up in the morning. But that's not an accomplishment. Normal people do that every day. Apply it in your life. The second year, you have to actually work the program. The first year, you learn the program. And Second year, you have to apply it to your life. And understanding self, like the selfish self-centeredness, the root of our trouble, you don't really get the understanding of self in the first year. There's so many new things happening that you don't understand the really root of the problem. That doesn't even begin really until the second year. And I really like that you talked about uh, sloth and, and working this program because it's so easy to not work it when things get good or things change. And I have a saying, I'm like, you know, we can rationalize and justify the most errant nonsense to suit our actions or our inaction in our life. I need to rely on God-centered 12-step pillars so I can be honest with them. And when we talk about honesty in the program, it's actually rigorously honest. And the word rigorous means accurate. I've learned through my own life and through the lives of many other alcoholics addicts, we're not capable of accurate honesty on our own. And for me to just pretend like I can go to God and get the answers at a year or two years sober is a fucking joke. We have to rely on other people who have our best interests at heart, who care more about our life than our feelings, like your sponsor, who can cut through the bullshit and see our rationalizing and see where we're, we're slipping down banana peel trail. And we got to be open and willing and released of the ego enough to be able to say, okay, I'm listening to you. I hear you and willing to fucking take that action. Problem is, is that a lot of people let the ego reassert itself. Self bleeds back into their life. They think that the job and the woman and all these things are, are the ticket that, you know, I'm good now. But what actually happens is these are the people that end up relapsing. Their relationships fold. They lose their job anyway because they haven't grooved this way of life into their life. And I'll finish with this in the book. It talks about Grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Rigorous honesty. And that's what we need. 
because dishonesty is cunning and it can creep in and then it bleeds into other areas of our lives and it takes us away from the program and it's based in that rationalization right so i'm again i'm i'm super stoked at the message that you're bringing and the delusion that we can create and how we need to use all aspects of this including the inventories including the pillars or sponsors including the meetings and listening and watching and hearing and including, you know, sharing and sponsoring and doing everything. It's all kind of part of it. And and at first it is a lot and it's kind of a burden. It's like, fuck, I got to do this. It's almost like a life sentence. But then after a while, it's like the greatest gift a guy ever got. But at first it's not that. And you don't know until you get to this other side what a gift it is but a lot of people won't get to that other side and see the gift so you know that's that's what guys like me and you are here for to really fucking help them anyway exactly going, my exactly friend. exactly because i never forget that my recovery comes first because without my recovery i don't have my family i don't have my girlfriend i don't have my business i don't have nothing if hypothetically speaking if if I have a beer today, I'm gone for four or five days. I lose everything. In everything that I've worked for for five years, I lose in 10 seconds. So in order for me to be able to have everything that I do have or that I am working towards, my recovery is essential. It comes first. And every time, because it's never... Every time, because we all go through hard times, right? But every time I go back to, I was taught to go back to basics. What was I doing when things were good? What was I doing for myself? What was I doing? Like, what was my structure like? How often, because uh, my sponsor, my sponsor has a thing, okay? Uh, she tells me, it's not how many meetings you do. It's how you live the program. Meetings, you go back to be of service. Meetings, you go back to help the newcomer. You don't go to meetings for yourself. She tells me sometimes people get jobs and they can't do meetings for four months. They get a job in some, some place up in the north and there really is no meetings, right? How are you gonna, what are you gonna do when it's you, your book, you and God? That's it, bro, that's it. And there becomes a point where, yeah, we go to the meetings when we first go, Yanni, to yeah. take. We take yeah. because yeah. We're, we we need. Exactly. But then there comes a point where, no, we don't go to take. We go to give. Where can I be of maximum service? And I love that you said, I can't rely on the meetings. I can't rely on on anything really. I got to develop this relationship with God because what about the time when there's nobody answering a phone? Exactly. I got to have a solid relationship with God. And that is the mainspring of this program. That's exactly what the book is about, really. It mm -hmm. enables me to find this power greater than myself that will solve my problem. When I first get here, my problems, I can't put a substance down. But when we stay here long enough, we get past that first set of steps, past that first year. We get to understand what the book says is word. The real problem, the root of my problem is selfish, self-centeredness, me. And 
my buddy Jesse, who I do podcasts with and who's a really good friend of mine, he has a saying. He says, if you think this this book is um, a theory or some guy's opinion, I fucking feel sorry for you. Until I understood that this this was fucking word, that this was the design for living, this was the piece of me that I was born without. When I accepted that this book had my life laid out perfectly in a way, that's when I fucking launched. It's not just pieces. It's not just philosophically comforting and makes me feel good. That book is the way I live my life and the results are inexplicable. You, t- you touched something there, you know, the book. And when you said it's, it's not there to make me feel good. No, it's not. It's there to give you the truth, right? And a lot of times, truth, when we're true to ourselves, a lot of things don't feel good. In time, you learn that. And it makes it, through that book, it makes it easier to make the right decision and the right choice, whether it feels good or not, because we're so used to making ourselves feel good that we all, you know what I mean? Sometimes a right choice or a right, or like, I'll I'll just like, for example, dummy it down for me, right? Sometimes a certain girl, it's not right. We don't want the same things in life. So why would I be waste a person's time when it's not something that I really want? Even if I do care about her, I'm gonna have to detach from this person. Even if I don't want to, it's the right thing to do. This is what I believe this book teaches me. Mm. You know, because what we do doesn't always feel good, but it's the right thing. And sometimes the benefits are later down the road. So as you, maybe, maybe our ego really wants this woman. Maybe we want the sex. Maybe we want that validation that we're going to get in that moment. But we've learned through this program that we have to self-sacrifice. Yes. Faith alone is insufficient. The idea of God or, or faith is insufficient to be vital, to give me like a good life. It must be accompanied by self-sacrifice, unselfish, constructive action. In that moment, in that moment where we turn her down or not turn her down, but take the hard decision and say, no, I'm not going to do that because I now self-sacrifice. It's not about me and my selfish desires. It's about not hurting somebody else. And I know that if I take that action, I do take her. And for the self-validation and the selfish desire, I'm going to feel more terrible about myself anyway, because that's what happens. Anytime I act in selfishness, I actually feel worse about myself. And the real, the self-benefit in that moment of getting her doesn't actually benefit me in, in my life in a month or in two months. Because there's me now. And if I think that I'm going to get what I want now, when I look down the road, I'm actually fucking up me down the road. So I'm not really getting the self-benefit. The real self-benefit is saying, God, you take her. Let me do what's hard and not do that. So I can maybe benefit in my character down the road. And then as I, my thought life will be placed on a much higher plane when my thinking is cleared of wrong motive. As I clear that motive and I don't take that action of, self-seeking and I bring God in 
I actually raise my level of consciousness and I start vibrating higher. And then down the road, there's an opportunity for somebody who's vibrating higher that actually can love me and, and be with me and want to be with me. And I can be with them on a different plane. And that's what I really fucking want. Right. But the ego says, Oh no, take this right now. But no spirit says no. So again, Yanni fucking gold, gold nuggets, my friend, gold nuggets. So let's switch gears here a little bit as we're, uh, kind of pushing our clock a bit but yeah as we've talked about your life through addiction into recovery you're now what five years clean and sober now november 1st 2016 is my my uh, my date my 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 sobriety date yeah so uh about four and a half years beautiful beautiful yeah so as we move into like your area of life now, and I see all the things that you're doing and you also made a big career change, right? Yeah. What, yes, what was the catalyst behind the career change? The volunteer work. It all started with volunteer work. I was, uh, I was in the restaurant industry for 20 years and I went with, uh, I wanted to do some volunteer work and I went to work with some young guys between, uh, 12 and 17 it's called bad shot down here i don't know if you've ever heard of it it's uh it's uh a sound uh like child services let's say in other words and i i worked with them and i worked with uh child services in cornwall in cornwall i was doing intervention prevention and then bad shot would just go and just chill and talk and shoot some pool play some basketball and it, it that pushed me to go back to school i didn't have a high school degree i asked what i what do i have to do to maybe work in the field like this so they guided me i went on google got some information and yes google was new to me i wasn't computer based at all i never had a computer <laughs> and uh It's funny, it, it, I went back, I finished my high school. And then from high school, I got to university in, uh, in addictions. And uh, I, did work with, I did work at a few treatment centers. Then from there, I decided to start Ron Recovery, where I'm a recovery coach. And uh, I love it. You know, I'm helping people. Uh, It's honest. It's fun. I see the change in them. And and really what guided you down this path was the fundamental change within your own being and the opening of your heart and, and the things that used to interest us, me, I'll speak for me, because I yeah. changed my career and it was due to the volunteering to the service of other people fundamentally changed my heart. It cleared, a, cleared this blockage and... I didn't want to fucking do anything else. So then I kind of went similar direction as you. And, and it's almost like, how can you not want to give away what we've been through and how we feel today? 
Yeah. And how can you not want to give this away? How can you not want to bring light to somebody else's life? And, yeah. and, and now, so, so tell us all the things that you are up to right now. What are you doing these days? Well, uh, what I'm doing right now is, uh, it's funny because this all really, really, cause I was one foot in one foot out before the COVID situation. Cause I was honestly, I was scared that I wasn't good enough. Okay. Uh, and then when COVID hit, I was getting phone calls for interventions. I was getting phone calls for, uh, it was mostly interventions at the beginning. I'm not gonna lie. And uh, that's it. From there on, I, like, I, I didn't have a choice. Uh, my website was up, like I was planning, but afraid to really hit it in, to really work it. But there are other restaurants were closed, right? So. Or I'm going to stay at home and, and play the victim and justify and uh, life's not fair, or I'm going to do something about it. You know, so uh, I was working at a treatment center at the time and I was doing Ryan recovery. And then I, I gave the treatment center uh, a two week, uh, two weeks notice. And I went on, I went on my own, completely on my own. I just gave it to life, gave it to faith. Let's see, is this really is this really meant for me? You know, is this really what I'm meant to do? And uh, I'm working with a couple of people now. I did do a, a sober companion job recently. And uh, I'm learning. I'm always learning. Every day I'm learning. It's hard work. It's it's hard work. It is really hard work. It gets me out of my, com my comfort zone a lot, you know. Uh, and I'm learning. That, that, there's nothing more for me important in life than be open to learn mm. like i touched when we spoke when and i told you something the, the other the other night which i'm going to repeat through my sober companion job the thing that i learned the most was how to value time finishing that contract i value time so much more and I realized how much time I would waste on completely nothing. How much more I, I was able to get done in a day than I would actually do. You know, and I believe in action. I really, I really go by action. You know, life is part of, it's like, I really, you want change, action. Do you use a lot of prayer and meditation and asking the universe or God or whatever? Do you discern a lot of your decisions with prayer and meditation and listen for the answers to know yes. which direction to go? Yes. And it's funny. Uh, and I go back to my sponsor. She taught me to, to, she, 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 she just gave me a way like that. She prays, like she prays directly. Right. When directly is, I ask direct questions in my meditation mm -hmm. and I look for answers in other people. So it can be the, the person, it can be the, the cashier at Walmart, for example, they'll give me the answer. So it helps me stay aware. Like I'll never walk up to, to a cashier talking on the, on the phone. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm always present. So is it an exercise in order for me to stay present? Is it an exercise in order for me to, to be aware? Is it whatever it is, it's working for me, right? I don't question it. When something's going well, 
I just follow through and do it. Uh, I do meditate more in the summertime than the winter because in the summertime I can go outside and uh, I like, you know, I live, uh, uh, actually where I live, my backyard, there's no, I don't have any neighbors at all back. So it's pretty cool. I go, I sit on the grass and it could get long in the morning. Mm -hmm. But in the winter time, I average about maybe uh, 10, 15 minutes in silence. But I pray constantly through the day. You know, I'll pray constantly through the day. And yes, yes, because this, uh, this recovery coach is three years in the making. Like feeling it from inside, from the heart, guidance. Uh, falling on uh, on let's say from a piece of paper to a website, uh, asking questions. What is it? Then going to do something else. Then fighting, not fighting my fear. You know, I always had that thing that I'm not good enough. I always had that that complex with my uh, with one of my eyes. It's bigger than the other, right? Uh, what are people going to say? People are going to judge me. People are going to criticize me, you know, stuff like that. But there comes a point where when you believe it and you believe in it and you believe in yourself and your mission is to really help people, you don't care anymore. You know, it comes to a point where, you know what? I really, truly believe I was put here to do what I'm doing. I really enjoy what I'm doing. I'm really helping people. Like I see the change, you know, and I'm just happy. I've never been happier. I don't know. Uh, it's a lot of work. I've never been happier. Dude, that's amazing. I just want to touch on the meditation and discernment. I often get my answers. I ask questions just like you had said. I ask specific questions and sometimes I'll write them down and I'm looking for clarity. I'm looking for direction. I'm looking for to find these answers based in love and kindness and for myself and for others and basically based in the purpose, how can I best serve, you know, my fellow man or God and in the questions that I ask. Um, and what I've found is I do get the answers, man, and I get them through interactions with other people. And like you said, being aware, being present, and listening for the answers to the questions that I've asked. And the question gets answered in the deep subconscious when I run into whatever the situation is that gives me part of the answer. And I've learned, Yanni, that the answers come 100%. And if I'm still in doubt if this is the answer, then that's not the fucking answer. The answers come 100%, might come 5% here and 5% there and 5% here and 5% there, might come through a television commercial, part of it, might come through a radio commercial, might come through a podcast, might come through, you know, me tripping on the fucking sidewalk. The answers all come to the point where I get the answer 100%. And the thing about this is, is I know the answer is there 100% because there's no doubt in the answer. And if I'm still doubting the answer, that's not the answer. So I try not to use like too much logic when I'm looking for the answer because logic and common sense and the subtleness of my rationalization and self-seeking can often obscure what it is I'm actually asking for and what answer I'm waiting for. 
So this has only come with practice through recovery. You know, ask me that same question at a year in. Oh, yeah, I know what's best. I'm going to use logic. But through the practice of meditation, mindfulness, doing my step 10 inventories, my step 11 inventories, the inventories and the self-examination that have come well after the second and third year really has cleared that channel. And just to quote the book here, much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. That is on page 85 in the big book at step 10 and step 10 is there to keep clearing the channel and much has already been said in the first 85 pages plus the doctor's opinion about how I receive his strength his inspiration his direction from him who has all knowledge and power and I go into that power within myself in my heart the connection to something greater than myself then it says if you have followed directions carefully you will felt the spirit of his flow into you to some extent, you have become God conscious. You have begun to develop this vital sixth sense. And I think it's that sixth sense. That's what's there to guide our lives. And that sixth sense is based in that love and intuition. And when we get in touch with that thing that's meant to guide our lives, like you said, it doesn't matter what anybody fucking thinks about us. We know we're okay. And it's based in our connection with that divine. Yeah. And I'll finish with this. In the doctor's opinion, he writes, these men believe in themselves and they believe more in the power that pulls these chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. I do believe in myself today, Yanni. I have great self-confidence, but I believe more in the power, this God that I've connected to that pulled me back from the gates of death. And when I disconnect from that power, I start running my own life and I start feeling worse about me. So my self-confidence and my ability to be a good person, a good father, a good ex-husband, a good boyfriend, when I am that, a good friend, it's all directly related to my connection with something greater. When I'm connected well, I fucking, I'm a great person. And when that connection is diminishing, I'm not as great. So... So any comments on that before I wind us down? You know what? You're absolutely right. I completely agree with you, meaning that I don't use common sense either. I just, it feels right. I just go with it. I feel it. I don't think it. It's a feeling. It's not a thought. You know, uh, if it's, when I think of things, it's weird. I don't act on them right away. I, I, I'll act on something when I feel it's right. Mm. Yeah, I do. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I met I met my teammates down here in Montreal through the weirdest circumstances, but it just felt right. Like if I would have went with common sense, I wouldn't have teamed up with, let's say, one of the three people that I'm working with. But that feeling, you know, when we talk about Obviously, in the first year of recovery, of, of recovery, I went with common sense. But sometimes, you know, that our my ego is so big that even my common sense can trick me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, my brother. I fucking love this interview. I love our talk, and I love the beginning Likewise. of building this friendship. And so Likewise, as we right. wind it down here, bro, uh, what's your message 
final message for the alcoholic who's new or the alcoholic still suffering. What's what's your message for them? You know, what's my message? What do you got to lose? You're not happy anyway. What do you got to lose than to really give it a try? To really listen. It might be hard, but it's completely worth it. Great fucking message, bro. I love it. What are you willing to do to change your life, right? Yeah. Like, you keep doing the same thing you always did. You get what you always got. Exactly. We got to get uncomfortable and step into the unknown and try some things that we've never tried before. So we get, I, I like this one. You want an exceptional life? You got to do some exceptional things. The fuck are you willing to do, right? So, Yanni, how can our guests find you? If they want to contact you, maybe you don't want them to contact you, but what platforms on are you on? Where can they find more of Yanni? I'm on Instagram under Ryan Recovery. I'm on YouTube under Ryan Recovery. I'm on Facebook under Ron Recovery. I'm on Twitter under uh, Yanni, Yanni Tsatas. Or you can go directly to my, uh, my website, ronrecovery.com. And my phone number is there. And anybody, my phone number is even on my Instagram. My phone number is anywhere. Anybody can reach, even if it's just for questions, even if it's, it's, even if it's just to shoot the shit. You know what I mean? Not only on for for a business uh, purposes, even if it's just just to talk, just to say what's happening. You know, I'm there for anybody. Like I'm open to talk with anybody. You know, anybody, anywhere. You know, sometimes to get that little message on Facebook, uh, thank you for your quotes. They make my day. Yeah, bro. So Yanni, from mankind, I want to thank you for doing what you do. And from my own personal experience of getting to know you, I want to thank you for, for what you're doing. And, you know, I really appreciate you coming on here. And I look forward to us building a, a stronger relationship and maybe meeting one day. So, again, kudos. We are thank gonna you very meet. much. <laughs> we huh? are going to meet. <laughs> we <Yes>. are going to meet. <laughs> thank you very much, brother. And thank you for taking the time. I'm really grateful. Thank you. I really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Okay, brother. You have a great day right. and uh, good luck with the rest of your day today. And we'll talk soon. Thank you for tuning into the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it. Please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover, one person, one family, one community at a time.